0: Welcome to the award-winning show Holding Down the Fort by U.S. Vet Wealth. We returned for season six to answer the biggest
1: question for a career military families. So when are we going to get out? And everything involved with answering this question.
0: I'm Jen Amos, creator and co-host of Holding Down the Fort and a Gold Star family member and veteran spouse. And I'm Jenny Lynn Stroop, co-host
1: and chief shower-upper
0: here on Holding Down the Fort. Together, we will converse with special guests. From and for our military community to share knowledge and resources and relevant stories on how we can best pull down the fort while on active duty, going through transition, and into post-military life. Now, let's get into the show. Risking is always better then regretting. A quote by Amy Forsyth. Amy Forsyth attended an all-girls Catholic high school wearing a uniform and doing what nuns told her to do. It turns out that the military is not that much different. Today, Amy is an award-winning military journalist, a public affairs officer in the U.S. Navy Reserve, and the author of Heroes Live Here, a tribute to Camp Pendleton Marines since 9/11. She credits the partnerships that made her book possible, shares what inspired her to join the Marines 30 years ago, how she eventually balanced being in the reserves and civilian life, the importance of recruiting top talent, women in the military, and much more. Amy, it was such a pleasure having you on our show. Thank you. Thank you so much again for joining us. And with that said, I also want to take this opportunity to share some announcements, first and foremost. The week that this episode is being published, Jenny Lynn and I are so excited to be traveling to Disney World to attend Disney Institute's Veterans Institute Summit on August 19th to the 20th. The Veterans Institute Summit is a complimentary event created to inspire business professionals and organizations utilizing actionable insights from the Walt Disney Company's Heroes Work Here initiative. Created to hire, train, and support military veterans and military spouses, Heroes Work Here has resulted in more than 10,000 veterans joining the Walt Disney Company since its launch in 2012. The Veterans Institute Summit is intended to help companies and organizations learn how to build or improve effective veteran hiring initiatives of their own. The summit will include advice and insights from veterans service organizations, First-hand perspectives shared by veterans about their transition to the civilian workforce and best practices from organizations that have created their own successful programs delivered through keynote presentations, panel discussions, and Disney Institute content. As of right now, the Veterans Institute Summit is intended for organizations seeking corporate best practices to recruit, hire, support, and retain veterans and military spouses. And you're probably wondering, Jen, why didn't you tell me this a long time ago? Well, the Veterans Institute Summit was an invite-only event. However, registration is open for individuals who want to attend online via live stream. I will provide that in the show notes for you in case you're interested. The reason why I'm sharing this is because I have the honor to be moderating their military spouse employment panel. We've had a lot of talks about this and I'll probably mention this in an upcoming episode after Jenny Lynn and I return from our trip, but the Disney team had realized that although they're really good with veteran employment, they were humble enough to admit to themselves that they know very little about military spouse employment. So they had decided to reach out to experts, including myself, as someone to moderate a panel such as the military spouse employment. Let me read a quick description on what this panel is going to be about. Studies show service member spouses tend to experience unemployment and underemployment at a significantly higher rate than their peers. Begin to think differently about the appearance of resume experience gaps, frequent job changes, and other relevant topics. One thing I thought I would share is that the Disney team had decided to bring me on as their only non-Disney facilitator to moderate one of these panels because of our show here, Holding Down the Fort by U.S. Vet Wealth. So this is really a manifestation of all of the work Jenny Lin and I And you, you know, the guest and the listener, have put forth for this show to be possible for an organization such as the Disney's Institute to have seen value in the work that we do here and invite me as our only non-Disney employee moderator to moderate this panel. So thank you, Disney. (laughs) Really, really appreciate you listening to my podcast. I don't know how you found us, but I'm sure I'm glad that you did. And Jenny Lynn and I are extremely excited to be attending this the week that this episode is coming out. I'm really excited to announce who is going to be on this military spouse employment panel. We have Cheryl Mason, who is the Executive Director for Veterans and Military Spouse Employment Programs at the U.S. Department of Veterans Affairs. The second panelist is Tish Stropes, who is the Vice President of Strategic Initiatives at the Fisher House Foundation. And last but not least, a dear friend of Scott and mine, Stephanie Brown, the founder and CEO of the Rosie Network. I am just, I can't even find the words humbled. I think humbled is not even a big enough word to have this opportunity to be recognized by the Disney Institute for our work here at Holding Down the Fort by US Vet Wealth to moderate this panel with incredible, incredible influential people in our military spouse community. So once again, if you want to register for the live stream, or you just want to learn more and check out the speaker lineup, I will go ahead and provide that in the show notes. So, all exciting stuff. Wish us the best. <laughs> we had a virtual rehearsal last week talking with Tish and Stephanie and Cheryl about how, you know, what we want to bring forth for this panel. And I got to tell you, it's going to be a good one. So, with that said, thank you all for listening to our announcements. Now, please enjoy this conversation with Amy Forsyth. All right. Hey, everyone. Welcome back to another episode of the award-winning podcast show. Holding down the fort, I am your creator, co-host. And as of late, I've decided to pick on a third title that starts with a C, first-time cat mom. (laughs) And as always, I have my co-host with me, who is a seasoned military spouse, mom of two, and mental health advocate, Jenny Lynn Stroop. Jenny Lynn, welcome back. Hey, glad to be here today. Yes, I'm also liking our titles. Like my titles, I'll start with C's. Yours starts with M's. I know this is something we established. Like I think two episodes ago.
1: (laughs) I know we're very matchy matchy. All that alliteration.
0: Yes, yes, we're pretty excited because I have been reading up on this guest in the recent weeks and just really excited to be speaking with her today. I also want to make sure I try to like be as journalistic as possible (laughs) because this person, (laughs) this person we're bringing on today is an award-winning military journalist. She currently serves as a PAO in the U.S. Navy Reserve. And in case you don't know what that is, that's a public affairs officer. And she's the author of the upcoming book, Heroes Live Here, a tribute to Camp Pendleton Marines since 9-11. Without further ado, we have Amy Forsyth with us. Amy Forsyth, welcome to Holding Down the Fort.
2: I am so thrilled to be with you
0: ladies today. Thank you so much for having me. Amy, it's a pleasure having you on let's go ahead and open up about how you have recently been featured in NBC7 San Diego's channel for your book, Heroes Live Here. And I want to open up by talking about this because as a Gold Star family member myself, I really appreciate how you have taken the time to honor our fallen heroes by being able to showcase the memorials and markers on Camp Pendleton. And a lot of these memorials and markers, Amy, are not available to the public. You've been able to go in Camp Pendleton to be able to document these for your book. So let's open up and talk a little bit about why this was so important for you to do, you know, for our fallen heroes.
2: Well, thank you so much. This book project really wrote itself, and I'm really proud to partner with other Marines who have strong ties to the base. But the book chronicles some of the memorials from those Marines who served in Iraq and Afghanistan and their legacy. And whether it was a cross up on the hill or a stone etched with their name or some sort of tribute that was brought back from Iraq or Afghanistan, many people don't know what the legacy is of those warriors through that era. And so It was so important for people who don't have access to come on to Marine Corps Base Camp Pendleton, located in North San Diego County. The book can showcase that and read those stories about those heroes. I just wanted to make sure that people know and for those Gold Star families that we remember, we we honor their legacy and the tributes to them. And many of them were personal stories for me, and I had served with many of them. And so people I knew, I just didn't want that memory to fade away. And so Putting it together in a kind of a coffee table book filled with a lot of pictures because I know Marines like pictures. So it was just a nice, colorful tribute and making sure that their names are captured in those stories and connections are fresh in our memory and our hearts.
0: Yeah. And you mentioned a little bit about how some of this is personal for you. I know that there is a special memorial called the McClung Ridge in honor of Major Megan McClung. Tell us a little bit about what that means for you and also for. Her family to have a dedicated stone on her behalf.
2: Well, it was a wonderful tribute. Just a few months ago, I was able to bring Megan McClung's mother up to this ridge line on Camp Pendleton to show her for the first time how we honored Megan. At the end of our deployment, we came home and we put a rock on this hill where we all used to run. But for those who don't know, Megan McClung was a Marine Corps major who died in Iraq in December 2006. Her Humvee was hit by an IED. She was killed immediately along with two other soldiers. But she and I had deployed together and served for many years together on and off and crossed paths. So when we were deployed in Anbar province in Fallujah and Ramadi, Iraq, things were at its worst. And we just never expected that her as a public affairs officer, she was the first Marine officer to be killed. She was a graduate of U.S. Naval Academy, a triathlete, just as uber runner. People knew her for her physical capabilities. And so it just really came as a big shock to everyone at that deployment towards the end of a very long year, very difficult, emotional year. So when we came home, we put a rock on top of this ridge line and her mother and her brother came to visit it with me this year. So being able to share that with them was really special. And just keeping her memory alive and if we could all do that with those that we've served with before or just passing on and inspiring patriotism and and honoring that legacy for all those that we've lost, especially during the past 20 years, I think we could serve our nation well and and especially those currently serving and those coming up through the ranks or thinking of joining the military is that this is a sacred commitment that we make to those that we serve with.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. I really appreciate just humanizing the entire military experience. It's like, you know, often when you think about media, like I've recently been watching the Marvel Cinematic Universe and how they glorify what it means to serve, you know, Captain America, for example. And yet the reality is that the, the consequence of it could be Gold Star family members, it could be, you know, these types of situations. And so to be able to just honor that, I think is very special. And I appreciate you doing that. Janie considering how you and Matthew were formally stationed in San Diego, I'm curious if you ever had a chance to go to Camp Pendleton.
1: I have been to Camp Pendleton some for work. Um, I have never done a memorial tour. I've done a real general like this is a giant base here where you can find <laughs> a couple things like the uh, exchange and uh, <laughs> the gas station and, you know, a few other high points on the base. But I I am unfamiliar with most of the things Amy touches in her book, which is why I'm really glad that it's out there. Because, I mean, even as someone who has access to military bases, there are things like that that you just pass by every day that unless you knew it was there, it's just there. And You know, I mean, who's going to spot a rock on top of a... To be clear, Pendleton is huge and very rocky Mm -hmm. and very mountainous. And to know that there's, you know something up there honoring somebody is different than just driving around the base.
2: Yeah, it was wonderful to be able to, um, partner with a graphic designer, a Marine veteran, and we built a map to show some of these locations and made those connections in the book. So that's, what's really special. And a few contributions from other Marines who wrote vignettes in the book to help share their experiences. And so it's really just a partnered, uh, partnered project that um, shared with a few other people that have strong ties to the base. And what I learned in my research, though, is that more Marines from Camp Pendleton than any other base or station in the country had suffered great consequences as those who made the ultimate sacrifice from that one base and a constant rotation of deployments through Iraq and Afghanistan throughout the 20 years. And so it was just a really special place filled with those memorials that we you know taken might might have taken 10 or 15 years to erect and put together but they're there and there's more still you know tributes coming through the years and this year marks the 80th anniversary of the base and so there's a Mm -hmm. lot of history there even through world war ii korea and vietnam and then of this generation so it's just interesting research and the base spans 125,000 square acres along the southern california coast that beach Front property is priceless right now in between Orange County and San Diego County, but know that it's a, a national treasure and really a sort of a um, a national monument, if you monuments on a monument, but it's a protected for environmental reasons and just a really interesting protected place with and also rich in California history. So long before it was a military base, there was the California history of when california was under the rule of spain and you know just the development it was a working cattle ranch a sprawling working Mm. cattle ranch before that and so some of the old structures Mm. one or two old structures on the base that the marine corps preserved this old adobe home that was connected to the california mission systems and so they've done a great job at preserving some of that legacy of before it was a marine corps base
1: yeah, that ranch house is beautiful. I have driven by. I do know where that is, and I have driven by it, and it is really neat. I mean, I love history, and it is really neat to go on there and realize that amidst the the workings of everyday military life, I mean, because you can definitely hear ordnance exploding almost all the time. <laughs> there's like this old, you know, ranch house that that is tied to the startup of California. So it's fascinating to me.
0: You know, I lived in Southern California for 20 years and I definitely, you know, it was very common to make that drive from San Diego to Orange County or LA. And I have to say, I really took Camp Pendleton for granted. It was always just kind of that base that you, you know, drive by from that long road from San Diego to Orange County and it's just there. And then occasionally you can like pull over and like there's like that one place where you could pull over and see like a scenic view for a, for a little bit, but I definitely took that for granted. And I'm really excited to uh, take a look at this book to um, really see what is inside <laughs> of of Camp Pendleton's. I think it's just going to give me a deeper appreciation of mm-hmm. what I had been driving by most, you know, for a good two thirds of my life. <laughs> mm-hmm. And I do appreciate you mentioning that it's a collaborative effort, kind of a team effort. It was a team effort to make this possible. And in your book, in the description, it mentions that there are more than 100 and 50 full-color images and beautifully designed graphic illustrations uh, depicting Camp Pendleton Marines' involvement in combat operations in Afghanistan and Iraq. And I'm curious of amongst the 150 full-color images, Amy, is there one that you particularly like that you think is worth our readers, our listeners taking a look at?
2: Wow, there's so many. What I'm most proud of, though, is the graphic designs that were created by a Marine veteran named Daniel Zimmerman of Devil Dog Graphics. And he created these two page spreads that are just so beautiful. And they really depict what I was after. And so that collaboration effort is what people really love to just, you know, review and look over. But I'll I'll mention that Camp Pendleton is special to me too, because when I was first in the Marine Corps as a young Lance Corporal, Marine Combat Correspondent, I was stationed at Camp Pendleton. And so that's my connection going mm-hmm. back 20 some years. And I just really felt that it was sort of home away from home for me. And so coming back here now as kind of all grown up and as a an adult um, working as a civilian on Camp Pendleton, it really just is a place that I have such fond memories of deploying to and from and so watching through the years of just the community, the surrounding community around Camp Pendleton is second to none. Oceanside, mm-hmm. Dana Point, Vista, mm-hmm. Fallbrook, these communities have stayed with these Marines and really welcomed them into their homes all throughout the year, and I know your listeners at home can't see, but here just just some of those two two pages with maps. There's Detailed information about the legacy of these memorials. And so, being able to have contributors put their words together and showing people we've got an entry from a Navy Cross recipient, an entry from Colonel Greg Martin, who was the CEO of Warrior Foundation Warrior Station in San Diego. The forward was written by Lieutenant General Larry Nicholson. And so it's just really wow. a well done book with wow. many entries and a really just a lot of work went into it. But I know that anyone who is stationed at Camp Pendleton will probably love to see what's inside and sort of like a 20 year cruise book, if for folks who know <laughs> what that is, because it's just a compilation of photos and stories of the past 20 years with a lot of ups and downs, an emotional roller coaster with those constant deployments. And our our Marines, you know, through the generations, through those 20 years, have just cycled through knowing they're going to either go to Iraq or Afghanistan or go on a deployment. But the fact that they still join, knowing the risks and knowing what's at stake is something that we as Americans can be very proud that we are still having young people join our military, Army, Navy, Air Force, Marines, despite the risks that are associated with that and the long deployments and the separations and the danger that is kind of lurking around every corner, whether it's just on being on ship is dangerous or going out in the field can be dangerous. And so we appreciate that service and make sure we always thank our thank our veterans too for who those who've done, who've already served.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I, I thought I'd ask you, Amy, uh, considering how you have Served for decades. What was your original reason for joining?
2: Well, you know, um, I went to an all-girls Catholic school, high school, <laughs> and but my grandparents had served in World War II, and mm. so my grandfather was a Marine, my grandmother was an Army nurse, and they met on the island of Guam during World War II, and then war was over, they came home, got married. But I'd always heard of their stories of service and the camaraderie and the decor. and I thought I really want to be a part of that. And mm-hmm. growing up near San Francisco, I can tell you that those fleet weeks really make an impact on <laughs> kids, you know? Uh, that's what I remember most is those fleet weeks, those flyovers, the blue angels, the Marines and sailors mm-hmm. walking around San Francisco. And I was just so attracted to that. So I joke sometimes. I went to all-girls Catholic school, wore a uniform, went to school, did what the nuns told me to do the military is not much that different. So you wear a uniform when <laughs> you go and you do what the NCOs <laughs> tell you to do. And so it was just that natural progression. But I guarantee that no one saw that coming. And I know my high school, my family, they just thought it was crazy that I wouldn't make it, that I wasn't mm. suited well for military life, and which is even more of a kick. And I said, well, watch me then. I'll do it. And I will stick it out. And sure enough, here I am 30 years later. It'll be 30 years in February wow. that since i Stepped on the what they call the yellow footprints for a Marine. When you go to boot camp, you step on these yellow footprints and you wait for the drill instructors to come start yelling at you. So I'm very proud to continue serving, and you know it was just that draw to patriotism, really through my family that inspired that. And after Desert Storm, Desert Shield, Desert Storm is really when I said I I want to do that. I want to serve my country, and so. And today kids, you know, they have all options for them, but we, you know, and for those who choose to serve, it's not because they don't have other things to do, but Mm -hmm. it's a life, a, a noble life, a noble cause. It's hard work. And I wouldn't have traded it for anything. I wouldn't have no regrets. And hopefully we can show, especially other, you know, younger girls and women that, Serving is not scary. It's not out of the realm and serving in a leadership position. Certainly just rolling with the punches and keep going and knowing in your heart that that's the calling. It's more of a calling, really, as you guys know both all too well. It's a calling for those people who join and want to protect and defend our country.
0: Yeah, I'm hearing you talk. And I completely agree with you. Like even someone such as myself, who's a Gold Star family member now, you know, having been married to a veteran spouse 20 years later to who is still very much involved in the military community. I get it. And I get why even with everything that comes with the military life, the draw of doing something for the greater good, the nobility of it, like you said, There's nothing like it. And also the camaraderie and the understanding that comes with that. I mean, it's very rare to find that type of collaborative feeling anywhere else. But I think in the military, even as someone who is a civilian now hosting the show, because I'm so drawn (laughs) to the community till this day. Jenny Lynn, I'm sure you have some thoughts. I want to check in with you.
1: Well, one, I'm really glad Fleet Week works. <laughs> As a public yeah. affairs officer spouse, we have spent many an hour at a Fleet Week. You know, it's good to know that that is excellent for recruitment. So, what made you go from active duty to reserves? Like, mm-hmm. why stay longer? You know, why continue to serve and and try and balance? You know, we have several friends who are reservists, and listening to their stories of balancing the civilian and Military world is fascinating to me because as a military spouse, I feel like I am the bridge between those worlds all the time. I am a civilian who also has a military ID card and I can go on base. But our reserve friends, when I hear how, you know, they're, you know, C suite level folks at these companies and then they get called up to reserve duty and all of a sudden they're, back on base, try to do that and balance both? Like, What's that look like? And what was the draw to go from active duty to reserve and try to balance those things?
2: Well, for me, I served eight years of active duty, my initial two enlistments, really. And you know, they say at that eight-year mark is kind of either you're jumping off point or you're going to stay in. And so I had a decision to make that back in those days, and this was 2000, where they didn't really have an online college opportunities. You Mm. had to take college classes the traditional way during the week and during the day. And so my draw, my pull to return to college and finish what I had started before I joined the Marines. So I really felt like, but I I didn't want to leave the Marine Corps. I was still loving the lifestyle and my friends and the opportunities. So I stayed in the reserves while I worked my way through college, my undergraduate degree. And found it to be different than active duty, but with so many benefits and so many great um, opportunities to kind of cherry pick the assignments and still kind of have a hand in it. And then when 9-11 happened, I knew I was gonna be deployed and definitely felt a calling to be available to deploy and um, serve. And sure enough, I got mobilized and deployed to Afghanistan in those early days in 2002, and so it was just like, well, I'm too far deep now. I can't leave, you know. So I, I stayed in the Marines for a total of almost 18 years with active and deployed. So I got mobilized three times, four mm-hmm. times while I was in the Marines in the reserve. But I had ended up finishing my bachelor's degree, finishing my master's degree, using my GI Bill. But I couldn't have done it really if I wasn't in the reserves because it was like the best part-time job really, to sustain not only the income, but access to the commissary and the gym Mm -hmm. and the lifestyle. And so, but I was always willing to go on, you know, special assignments and deployments and help my unit with writing stories and things that they needed for public affairs wise. So that was the draw. And then the Navy opportunity came as a direct commission program where they bring in people who are either prior service or they are office you know, professionals working in the industry and bring them in to create just an amazing cohort of public affairs officers, especially that are working in these high level jobs with very high profile positions in government and media and industry. And so being a part of that is just a really unique and special opportunity. It's sort of a built in way to network and I've had nothing but great opportunities, assignments offered to me. So why not continue to serve where I can? And so that's kind of where it has led me over the past 30 years to stay in the reserves. And I love it because I can also recruit now too. I get oftentimes asked, well, how do you like it? Or how can I join? And so it's very competitive. I wouldn't want to be competing right now, entering because the competition and the The level of proficiency with these candidates and applicants is so strong, really, that top people want to serve. Mm -hmm. Like, they're making big money, six figures, seven figures, whatever, but they still want to continue serving our nation. And that speaks a great deal about the prestige and the honor that comes with wearing a uniform.
0: Yeah. I love hearing that because when we were talking in the pre-interview, one of the topics we wanted to discuss was the military having a top talent issue. Mm. So it sounds to me that things are turning around, <laughs> or at least in your observation. What do you think in your observation?
2: Well, you know, I do think in those really competitive programs like direct commission officer or as a way to come into the military, there's different programs to come in through college or after but a new report just came out that enlistees are having a hard time, sort of recruiting these eligible candidates. And so mm. we always want to raise the bar of who are who we can bring in or who's really interested in these programs, because you know they said that only nearly twenty five percent are even eligible of those who really wants to serve. And so we want to attract these top talent of you know young Americans who can mm. go to college or do anything they want. But we definitely want and i think that it's all up to every single person in uniform to share their story that will inspire the next generation and say i want to be like that person instead of just taking our bottom rung of people who either don't want to go to college and don't want to work sometimes has been the model of okay yeah. you can either go to jail or go in the military <laughs> and i'm like well then wh- what does that do for me? Like, why are you giving me a bunch of like delinquents, you know, to join the military? And that's not what the military is about. We need competent, professional, dedicated, patriotic people willing to learn and willing to serve. And so attracting that top talent requires every, not just the recruiting commands, but it requires everyone to tell their stories. And that's where veterans come in is if veterans Mm -hmm. can tell their success stories about how there's excelling in entrepreneurship or landing great jobs and, and really thriving in their life after the military, that in and of itself is one of the top recruiting aids to help showcase all the great work that veterans are doing.
0: And- yeah, I think like the general like goodwill and good press of mm-hmm. veterans is really to your advantage. I want to express why I really love that you described this And before I do, let me go ahead and give a quick shout out to our show sponsor, U.S. Bet Wealth. If you've been following along in the recent episodes, U.S. Bet Wealth is now rolling out with a free online community called the U.S. Bet Wealth Insiders Portal. And it's essentially for military retirees who are looking for a trusted alternative resource for career progression tips as well as financial solutions for you and your family. You can actually join this for free today. All you have to do is visit usvetwealth.com. That's U-S-V-E-T-W-E-A-L-T-H.com. I'm mentioning this because we do have a, a particular section in the U.S. Vet Wealth Insiders Portal called the Military Retirement Blueprint. Again, I want to mention that this is all free. And this is really an online portal we are actively building out where we help our military retirees analyze, design, and qualify for for alternative career and financial strategies. This particular part of our Insiders Portal has curated courses, webinars, and education, all for free, once again, made for military retirees. You can get a well-rounded approach to your military retirement by studying the best options for you and your family in the government and the private sectors. So a little sneak peek into what you can find here at US Bet Wealth's Insiders Portal for the section, the Military Retirement Blueprint. We offer free courses and webinars. Some of the most requested as of right now are the following. The survivor benefit decision, answering the question, what do I do with my thrift savings plan? Understanding the difference between traditional financial advisors versus robo advising how do you privatize your pension, which is something that U.S. Vet Wealth takes a lot of pride in helping our military retirees with, and much, much more. So if you are interested in getting free access to this alternative education made by veterans and military-connected people such as myself for the military retiree, the career military family, and the seasoned spouse, go ahead and check it out now at our website, usvetwealth.com. That's U-S-V-E-T-W-E-A-L-T-H.com and i really love that you described this because i think about my own personal experience like growing up in a military town like san diego a lot of my friends being military kids and unfortunately a lot of them joined for the economic opportunities because they were college dropouts or they couldn't hold a job or they didn't want to hold a job or they were you know still living with their parents in their 20s young 20s and the, and the parents are like hey you know you got to do something with your life and so that was sort of the impression i was coming from is, you know, the military is the fallback to the fallback. Like if you can't make it to your certain, if you can't make it to a certain college, then you're joining the military. But it was really until I met my husband who is a West Point grad and joined for that. He joined for the altruistic side of the military, you know, for the greater good of America in a sense. And to be able to see it in that perspective, we were actually having this conversation recently, because we're talking about like, you know, Wanting to have kids and stuff we're like, you know what? I think at the bare minimum, we should encourage our kids to serve at least <laughs> four years and you know, join some kind of academy because mm-hmm. there is so much benefit to and, and I'm saying this as a gold star family member, like I would say if I didn't have the traumatic experience that I had i I think I would have joined. I think I would had served for a couple of years just because of all the benefits that come with it, of course, not just the military benefits, but again, that goodwill. Of the community, people perceiving you as, oh, you're a veteran. Let us help you. Let us, you know, there's a ton of resources for veterans. So I do appreciate you kind of elaborating more on, on that perspective.
1: Well, it's fascinating. You and Scott were just talking about the academy, as Matthew and I had a very similar conversation the other night. In fact, he's um, called up a friend of ours at the Naval Academy to see if they do summer tours for kids because he's like, you know, I want to start laying that groundwork now. Yeah. And, you know, it's fascinating as somebody who grew up in a military area, albeit a little further inland than Norfolk or Virginia Beach. And, you know, I've said this before, like the Navy was always that thing over there in Norfolk and Virginia Beach that as someone who grew up in Hampton Roads knew about, but it didn't affect my day-to-day life. And so, you know, I didn't grow up in this community where everybody served. I mean, we had one person that I can recall in my high school whose dad was in the Navy, you know, and it What's fascinating about, you know, people joining in retention now is that it is mostly military kids that are, they're the largest group of people joining the service or the people that grew up this way. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But just, it's fascinating to me as a military spouse who grew up in a military area that it was never a track I considered, like mm-hmm. not even yeah. a little bit. It just never crossed my mind that that was a thing. Now, people from my high school went to different service academies or like Virginia Military Institute, you know, and then I went to a school with a Corps of Cadets and have some friends who are now in the Navy that served in the Corps. But it still, it like never clicked with me. But to be a mom of like military kids growing up in this and to hear them say it's funny with like each job my husband has, they change like what they're going to do in the military, like based on like where he is, you know, but to hear them think that Like that's that's an option for them. I mean, of course, right now at eleven and twelve, it's major league baseball player or United States Navy. So you know, (laughs) one may end up working out better than the other. But I love you know, I agree with Amy. I do think that we have an opportunity as either veterans or military family members to tell the stories and and tell them well. I think for me personally, it is finding that line between the hard and the good and being truthful about both because I would never want to present this lifestyle in a way that intentionally deterred or intentionally like misled people from joining. But I feel there is such benefit from being part of this community if all you ever get out of it is community. And there's mm-hmm. 10,000 other things you can get out of it. But the community for me is where it lands. And so, you know, I do... I do hope that that the work we do on this show and the work Amy does as a, you know, PAO and military journalist gets the word out about, you know, how great it is to be a part of this community.
2: That's so true and I'll I'll mention I was in your the first category you mentioned. I was 22 when I joined. I was sort of struggling through college and working, but I in my heart I knew that I really wanted to be in the military. My parents Discouraged it. That's why I was mm. like, didn't go right when I was 18. So I said, you know, before I get too much older, I am going to do this. And so, um, or, you know, there's so, and every uh, across the strata, either joining when you're late because you're not really sure what you want to do, or going to an academy and everyone in between. So you can make it, it with hard work, you can achieve whatever. So you can completely stratify the whole spectrum. For those people who are, I want to say, like late bloomers like me, who didn't really have the means to go to college. And so that's what's wonderful about the military. There are pathways for people to enlist and move along the rank structure. And so all it really requires is, you know, that you give your best effort and you take advantage of opportunities for people to you know, join and that patriotism Mm -hmm. and believing in that we right now, our nation needs an all hands on deck to try to solve some of our most complicated challenges and problems. But and I was coming up in the 80s, where it was like post Vietnam. So being in the military was not very popular, or there were no Mm -hmm. resources. Mm -hmm. And so, um, I love to have seen how it's been completely transformed and so there's the thank yous and the honor to the veterans and so I just love to be able to see that for our new veterans that people do appreciate their work and so as a country we've we've really shifted colors on that and and done a done a 180 and so it's it's great to be a part of that but to be the one saying thank you to our veterans too you know as being able to honor them so that we can make sure that the next generation is knows that they're going to be appreciated. And I think Mm -hmm. that's kind of what people are looking for nowadays, if they're able to serve and, you know, and of course their families too, it comes with the territory that it's not just the service member. As you both know, it's the, if you get the family package and it's part of the lifestyle and that takes a big commitment, not just on the service members part, but the
1: entire family.
0: Yeah. One more thing I want to add since we're doing like a recruiting commercial here (laughs) is
1: You're welcome, DOD. Yeah.
0: I was actually talking about this with Scott, my husband, and we're saying, like, you know, the military is one of the longest institutions in America where you can still climb a corporate ladder.
1: Yes. You know,
0: and so that's something to keep in mind. And, you know, considering you're talking about how you started when you were 22. Amy, I know Matthew genuinely started a little later himself, and he I was recently. Two years old. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and I, I recently one of my good friends that I recently caught up with, her husband started when he was twenty eight. You know, so I, I do know that there is a cap, but mm-hmm. you know, for the most part, to know that there is a system in place on how to climb the corporate ladder in the military is it's there. The system is there, mm-hmm. and so anyway, if you're interested, go visit.
1: No, <laughs> <laughs> no it is funny you bring that up, Jen, because I was thinking the same thing. I was thinking. I am at a point personally as a military spouse where for the first time really in my military spouse life, I am able to have a career. Mm -hmm. And what does that look like? And I have really started turning that question over and like, well, you know, there are some jobs available to me that that they're going to be they're great jobs. But you're always going to be whatever that thing is. There is no moving up. And I think, you know, being able to walk alongside Matthew in his career. And I mean, he he's a Mustang. He transferred from enlisted officer. Like, you know, I've seen every at every step, you know, I met him when he was airman's troop and now he's, <laughs> you know, <laughs> he's BAO. You know, so, you know, I have I've walked that journey with him. And so to to look at it for myself and go, you know, upward tenure is something that, you know, growing up I really aspired to. Like, what does that look like now that I get to have a career? And I do have that military mindset of like, I would like to grow and change and move up and have more leadership opportunity. And it's really set the tone for me looking forward to my next, you know, personal endeavor of like what that looks like, but it's such a great structure. And it is one of those places that still remains is like hard work and effort do pay off and like do bring more leadership opportunities and, you know, growth. And I think that's it's fascinating to me that you can have the same title and I don't mean rank, but like public affairs officer. Like, and you can work with I mean Matthew has worked across Every single organization within the Navy, aside from submarines. So like he's touched every, you know, air and SWO and all all the things too many Navy acronyms there for non Navy listeners. But, you know, and yet he's always been a public affairs officer, but his job has changed, and he's gotten to do new and different things and I find that so fascinating on the civilian side sometimes that's mm-hmm. hard to find and Jen, I know you've mentioned multiple times you know you're an entrepreneur because you were like, "Oh my God, I can't stand a regular job like yeah. this lifestyle really affected like mm-hmm. how you perceived work, and for me, I know it's it's made a difference in such a good way because i I know now like the value I bring to the table and like That moving up thing is important to me. Yeah, Yeah. you know,
2: indeed, I noticed this. So I got married a little bit later in life. I was 40 when I got married, and I didn't really know the challenges that military spouses had because I really wasn't one and I wasn't uh, in tune with it. But my husband as well, we moved to Guam for my civilian job. But finding a balance for him too. So for women who want to marry... Someone who might be a higher earner, and there's so many more dynamics to it. So, recruiting women into the military and serving, so long as their spouse is going to be willing to move along with them, and it it can be very hard and disruptive to marriage when the spouse can't work or does only for three years, and you know, moving on. And so, it it really takes a special person to forsake their own career progression in order to follow and support that military member. And so holding down the fort is, you know, kind of that ancillary job for the spouse of the military member. And for someone who wants to have a career and has the opportunities, that decision point comes at certain point, like do you want to stay in or get out because I don't want to keep moving. And so I saw that on Guam a lot is that service members didn't want to move to Guam because the spouses couldn't work. And so then Mm. we lose, we lost a lot of, especially the submarine train folks there is because tours on Guam were inevitable and then the spouses didn't want to go and sit on an island where they couldn't work and progress in their own careers. And so it really was eye-opening. And some of these challenges that leadership maybe doesn't know about because their spouses didn't work and didn't need to work or chose not to work. And so some of the things that we all know to be true and relates to retention. And so trying to highlight those and find solutions, whether it's a a job they can work from home now or take with them wherever they go, or entrepreneurship is such a great way. It kind of flattens the curve and the difficultness of transport jobs when you have to move around.
0: Yeah. I have a friend who runs this organization that helps military spouses find remote employment. And before the pandemic, it was a really difficult task. You know, she had to find the right companies to partner with and, and everything. But then once, once we were in quarantine, once we had stay-at-home orders, essentially, all of a sudden, the remote work exploded. And I know, Jenny Lin, when you first started working your job, you had no idea <laughs> that you were going to be working as an outreach coordinator virtually for mm-hmm. essentially the entirety of your career so far.
1: All of it. <laughs> every single day of outreach I've done has been remote. Yeah. Because California was closed down for so long.
0: Yeah. Yeah. It's uh, a,
2: it's great (laughs) to see how the shift and what people value and that it can Mm -hmm. be done and trying to make that work. I think it really moved the needle in terms of trying to find remote work, especially for spouses who are moving around. And because if you know, say the spouse isn't happy, no one's happy and the service member will leave and we don't want that. And so it's, a, it comes with a unit, it's a family unit that we, mm-hmm. you know, is so important and critical to readiness and um, anything we can always do to help with improve that readiness. So we can gain the best top talent and make it a family effort is so important.
0: Absolutely. So in addition to highlighting the importance of Putting military families first and as a way to increase and maintain service member retention. I wanted to touch upon more about your experience, Amy, as a woman in the service, because here I am referring back to the Marvel Cinematic Universe, because that's where my headspace is right now. A couple years ago, they recently released the movie Captain Marvel, and it was like such a big deal because it was like the first like female veteran that is in the Marvel Universe. However, you have been serving as a female service member for the last 30 years. And so I know that you have seen all sorts of things in the military. I imagine you have been in many spaces where maybe you were like the only woman. But I know that a lot has changed. And from our conversation in your pre-interview, you're very optimistic about the opportunities for women in the military today.
2: Well, I can tell you that when I attended the Joint Women's Leadership Symposium a couple of weeks ago in Norfolk, Virginia, I was so blown away by there was about 900, almost a thousand women in uniform. And it just made my heart sore mm. because being able to see all those women come together from across the country and around the world, actually, we had women there from all over bases and stations as far away as Germany and Hawaii and Guam so that they would come there to learn, be mentored, mentor others, and share experiences so we can thrive in this environment. And it's not easy. The military is really not meant for, I want to say, it's a machine that's not meant for women and lifestyle per se. So there's always an uphill challenge and women have been serving patiently and quietly and diligently and successfully for so many years. I mentioned my grandmother was an army nurse in World Mm. War II and serving, caring for those wounded on the battlefield in Guam and Saipan. And some of the stories that stayed with her and that shaped her life really shaped my life. And that was what inspired me to join. But in the reality of today's world is that women serving in the military still face Uphill challenges because of policy or practice or just that legacy mindset that women don't belong in the military or you're not good enough or you shouldn't be here. And so I've heard it all and I've experienced it all. And so being able to just shrug it off and, you know, really try to remember the calling and, you know, having that opportunity to be a public affairs or a com- enlisted combat correspondent and The thing that I always tried to do was to uh, shaping these stories and tell the good news about our military always gave me hope. And if I could make someone's day, that's what I was out to do. And really to always remember, share the courage it takes to serve, whether man or woman, the courage it takes to put on a uniform, get up, step off, go in harm's way was really a calling for me and being able to tell those stories. I can tell you there's been stories where I've covered a story about a Marine doing something on the job and back in the old newspaper days, and they would send the newspaper clipping back to their home to mom. Mom would have that article posted on the refrigerator for 10 years. (laughs) And they would tell me, My mom still has that article that you did about me. And so I was like, you know, if I could make moms and dads proud by doing writing a story and taking a photo of a Marine or soldier, sailor, airman then that's my calling and that's my job, regardless of what other people are saying or doing about being in the military, because I know that those matter. And Mm -hmm. I think there's been a huge shift in mindset, especially in the last 10 years or so, or at least since Iraq and Afghanistan, where women were being killed. And so I'll tell Mm -hmm. you that when Megan McClung, Major Megan McClung was killed in combat in December 2006 in Iraq, that really... Awakened the reality that women are prepared and know the risk when they go into Mm -hmm. combat zones, and that if she's willing to do that, then it is not enough to be accepted into the you know the club, the secret handshake, and and be willing to serve. And so it did. It has, and I can tell you that even as recent as last year, it's been almost a year now where two female Marines were killed in Afghanistan at the airport.
0: Mm-hmm. international
2: airport. And so while tragic, as tragic as uh, male Marines dying, but the we've come to accept that as America said, well, we're not ready for women to die in combat. But I think now we've really accepted that if they're willing to kid up and step off and go on ship, serve as aircraft pilots, shouldn't that be enough and be proof enough that we're willing to take that risk? And so by that alone, I think that that has shifted some mindsets uh, from that old legacy mindset that you don't belong here. So I've seen great changes and I'm, I'm so hopeful there's women coming up behind us. My main mission in life is to open doors, create opportunities for women in the military, veterans who want to become authors or step into, you know, get a master's degree and work in media or journalism and, and create those connections for people.
1: It's awesome. You know, it's fascinating. You talk about this legacy mindset. I am now on my second World War II era historical fiction book of the summer, both about females in combat during World War II in Russia. Mm-hmm. And the current book I'm reading, it's fascinating because. This a Russian female sniper, and it's it's based on real people. It is historical fiction, so obviously some of the things are made up, but most of it is is really based on things that actually happened. And she comes to America on a goodwill tour in hopes of America giving aid and and putting in the you know another front in Eastern Europe to deter the Germans during World War II. And the way that it is written about how the American press and like the American like Washington DC ladies like (laughs) welcomed and I put that in air quotes for our listeners who can't see my fingers like welcomed her is fascinating and it just speaks so much to like the legacy we've had here in the United States is that women stay home and support. And that is our legacy as a military family. We stay home in support. We're holding down the fort at home, you know, those things. And in reading this book, it is, it's because most of it is from inside the mind of the female sniper. And she's looking at at, at us, like the Americans going, why don't they get it? Like, you know, and there's this scene I just read last night where she'd gone to like, this shooting club and it was this old boys club and they gave her a rifle and like she set up against these 10 men in this rifle club and beat every one of them you know 10 bullseyes in three minutes but it wasn't until she proved that she could do it that like she was welcomed as a soldier into that group she'd been this very othered um, you know oh look at her she's so cute in her dress in her dress uniform like over here trying to tell us about war and it's been fascinating to read and then to think about like I know so many women in the military and so many that have been the first at whatever they do. And one of my favorites, you know, her like retirement speech was, it's great that I was the first XYZ. I'd really like for there not to be any more first. And I just thought, Mm -hmm. you know, man, that's really awesome. And yet, you know, just the other day, The first blue angel pilot, you know, the first female blue angel pilot. And I was like, oh my gosh, really? We hadn't had that yet. (laughs) Like there's still a part of me, even that I'm like, oh, we've made such strides. And also, wow, like we're still having the first. So, you know, I mean, I'm with you. I've seen a lot of change in the 15 years I've been married into this lifestyle. And I hope, you know, to continue to see change. And I hope, you know, we have an episode, gosh, that came out, I don't know what season three, Jen, with Misty Flynn, who's uh, a master chief. You know, she is a friend of mine. And we had a very candid conversation about the relationship between female spouses and female service members, because that's Mm -hmm. part of what helps change this too. You know, and I think that's a conversation worth revisiting for folks that haven't listened to it. It's, you know, something that's going to help move the needle forward and make you know department of defense the the ground for which we show everyone else the the advances that can be made you know that that we can all be a very diverse and inclusive culture
2: yeah oh i love that especially with yeah the spouses and women in service you know there's been this sort of two groups that never intersected and i've always tried you know or i've always wanted to be friends with spouses, because I didn't really have a lot of female friends in the network wherever I was stationed. And so kind of breaking into that group or being as a friendly, you know, is hard, but I think it takes some work on both both ends as well to make a good, solid unit come together where people feel comfortable um, with that. But, you know, I want to tell you, so in the development of Female engagement teams. A lot of people maybe don't know that story where in Iraq and Afghanistan, where we needed women to do searching of other women, of the Iraqi women and Afghan women, and kind of being able to get together with them on patrol. Like, so we gathered some women, Marines, to go on patrol with the Marines, male Marines, to talk to the women, because usually the women know where the bad guys are, the women know where the things are. And so They developed this concept of female engagement teams which led to this cultural support teams where now in special forces this is like a standard and so the biggest things we've learned about integrating women into our combat operations and our overall operations while we're out there is that women play a key role in combat whether it's engaging with other women and a good friend of mine Julia Watson a marine master sergeant she gave a TED talk speech about why women in war matter and so i don't think there's going backwards right so the mm-hmm. genie's out of the bottle we can't put that back in and so i think we're going to see more to come and as women uh, reach higher ranks and more policy makers out there at that highest levels we're going to we're going to see more awareness and and moving the needle to help make it a place where women can can serve and serve successfully where they don't need to punch out after 10 years and You know, get discouraged or distracted, and if they can also build some tools to roll with the punches and put things in perspective, uh, definitely see a longer longevity of careers for women. They can just stick it out long enough to get to reach those ranks, which we've seen now, especially in the Navy and the Army, it's it's wonderful, and and the Air Force too, to see some of these women reach three star, four star, or you know, senior enlisted. Mm -hmm leaders like in the Air Force. And it's just really great to see.
0: Yeah, it's very inspiring. I think about, you know, the work that I do with Scott and our team, and we primarily talk to like male veterans, which, you know, it is what it is. But it is always very exciting when we're able to talk to a female (laughs) veteran. It's just very refreshing and makes me very optimistic for the military. Real quick, just a shout out to Misty Flynn. She was episode 78 which is wow that was like almost oh, that was like well over a year ago it's February 2021 yeah. but that one was titled encouraging female service members and military spouses to connect on shared challenges with Misty Flynn so shout out to Misty for that and I'm curious Amy if you had a a mantra on what to tell yourself if ever you were kind of faced with being othered or is it kind of like you just you just you've just kind of gotten this like second nature habit to brush it off now I'm I'm curious if you have any strategies for that or you know like i said if you just kind of brush it off
2: <laughs> well you know um it, framing is everything and how to mm-hmm. succeed in the military lifestyle and there's been so many ups and downs and second guessing and did i do the right thing and i want to push the needle i want to do more i want to get this done and um, being mm-hmm. a doer you know i do have one quote That I often refer to is risking is always better than regretting. And so taking some risks to push the envelope, as they say, or take a risk because you do not want to live with regret and saying, I wished I could have, I should have done this. What if it had turned out differently? So I've always been a risk taker and I, it's always paid off. And you know, one thing in the military, they say, don't ever volunteer for anything. But I've done the exact opposite. I volunteer for everything. And usually it's something really cool, or I can carve out my own path and it ends up being really fun or an exciting opportunity. And so just taking those risks in order to get the reward. I always just recommend people take a chance, believe in yourself. Most importantly, and bet on yourself 100% of the time. So risking is always better than regretting. No regrets in life, right?
0: Yeah, I love that. It's better to say, whoops, than, oh, I wish, right? It's like, you know, one of my favorite phrases for myself is is I always like to say, well, so far so good. Like that's usually what I go with. And I just kind of focus on failing forward and doing things trial and error and like just making mistakes. And seeing how that could be really fruitful. And so I love that for you. It's like, hey, any moment where you know it's risky, you lean into it. Because like you mentioned, it almost always is gratifying at the end and rewarding at the end. Jenny Lynn, just curious if you had any thoughts.
1: Well, as we've discussed many times, I'm pretty risk averse. So I'm not sure (laughs) I err on the side of caution, though. I do love the reframe of I'd rather, you know, risk than regret. That's a great reframe for me and for people like me who are like, "Mm, I don't know about that. I would actually rather step out and do the thing than wonder how it would have gone or if it would have gone. So thanks for that, Amy.
2: Well, you know, with the uh, taking a risk on, say, the book, putting together this book, I'm not an author. I barely even read books. For, I'm not necessarily a reader. So, me putting together a book mm. was the furthest thing from my mind. But I said, what if no one buys it? And that was a very good possibility. No one's going to want to buy this. That's the first thing to like convince mm. myself not to do this thing, not to put together this book. But I so said, what if people actually wanted to see this and wanted to buy it mm. and want, took comfort, and some reassurance from it. And so that's what really pulled me into it. And so I took a risk. And luckily, people have been very appreciative and supportive of it. And so for that, I'm thankful. And so I won't live with the, well, I could have, would have, should have, or I wished I would have. And so taking that risk and taking that leap of faith, I, I just knew that somebody could gain comfort and uh, appreciate it. And so I encourage people out there, if you're thinking about doing something, if you're kind of want to do a thing, take a risk and pursue it, take action. And because this is, this is all we've got right here in life. So don't live with a regret. And if you can change someone's day by doing something, follow your heart, really listen, listen to your heart. What is it telling you to do and take that action?
0: Well, Amy, Thank you. You know, Thank you for everything that you do for our military community. You are an award-winning military journalist for a reason. (laughs) And why don't you let our listeners know if they want to learn more about the book, Heroes Live Here, or they want to reach out to you directly, how can they do that?
2: Well, certainly. I'd love to connect with people on LinkedIn. I'm on LinkedIn and Instagram and Facebook, Twitter. But if people want to learn more about the book called Heroes Live Here, They can go to the website, heroeslivehere.com. You can follow our Instagram page and our Facebook page, Heroes Live Here. And I just love to connect with other people. If there's people out there who might want to learn more about the book business or get connected with veteran authors or learn some things, just follow along and see how I'm doing my media or engagements. And I'm doing a lot of veteran talks too. I've been invited to come and speak to veterans groups, which I'm always happy to do, talk about this process and sort of the research that went involved with Camp Pendleton, especially in San Diego area. I'm more than happy to share that, but love to connect with anyone out there. Appreciate the opportunity. It's been so great to connect with you ladies today and and holding down the fort. It's wonderful. Really makes my heart sing, knowing that we've got, we've got ladies out there like you who are really, driving the conversation, keeping the conversation going with these important topics. So thank you for having me.
0: Yeah, thank you, Amy. You are incredible, inspirational, aspirational as well, I think. And I think this just creates, I hope that in sharing your story and you showing up as you are, our listeners will just have one more amazing example as to why not that this is a recruiting ad in any way, but why Mm -hmm. it is a great, great opportunity to join the military and serve for our country. Thank you, Amy, so much for your time. And Jenny Lynn, thank you for co-hosting with me as always. Thank you to our listeners for joining us. If you want to get a hold of Amy, we will have all of her contact information in the show notes, as well as her book, Heroes Live Here, and how you can get a hold of that yourself. We hope you got a lot out of this conversation and we will chat with you in the next episode. See you next time. Hey, thanks again for joining us at Holding Down the Fort by U.S. Vet Wealth. Once again, I am your co host, Jen Amos. And I'm Jenny Lynn Stroop. Thank you so much for listening to our show.
1: If you've gotten a lot out of our conversation today, be sure to leave us a five star rating review on Apple Podcasts or Podchaser.
0: Or you can leave us a kind LinkedIn recommendation on our LinkedIn profiles. Learn more about Holding Down
1: the Fort by visiting holdingdownthefortpodcast.com. And there you'll also be able to find us on social media and how to contact us directly. Thank you all so much for
0: joining us. Until next time.